friends with, well, I've got an extra bottle, um, Tim and Sarah for, who are about seven, seven, eight years, something like that, coming in and out of Bath. We are in the very fortunate position that we move between two of the most beautiful cities in the world, between Cape Town and Bath. In this funny season of our life, it's a little bit strange. Uh, it's not luck, it's not a fluke. Uh, it was definitely God. Sometimes it's very challenging. Uh, for me, the logistics are quite challenging moving in and out. I don't find it particularly easy. Uh, but most of the time, I'm learning to enjoy it, which is quite, uh, quite something for me. So uh, we have been friends of St. Matt's for, since it, well, I don't know, it's sort of the old St. Matt's in its original kind of thing, which I expect some of you were part of that as well. And we've always in, uh, said about the calibre of the young people who've come out of St. Matt's, and we've been so impressed with them, and I'm sure there's more to come, and that's not just the young people stuff. You know, if you feel like I've just disqualified you, that's not the case. Um, so people like, people like Nick Wilshire, who actually Bernard met with in London one evening this week, people like Dave Hutton, who's also in Cape Town, not with us, he's across the other side of the peninsula, but we try and make sure that we see him and uh, keep an eye on him, and he keeps an eye on us, and we laugh at each other, uh, and that kind of thing. People like Seb, who's now in New Zealand, of course, and Paco in Spain, uh, just a, a great bunch, a great bunch, and I believe there's many more to come. People who have a real hunger and thirst to run after Jesus uh, and to make a difference where they are in the context where God has placed them. But what I want to do um, this evening is to just encourage you in that keep on keeping on thing. Because sometimes it's very quite exciting, isn't it, sometimes to hear about people, oh my goodness, they're here, they're in Cape Town and they're in Bath and they travel and these people in New Zealand and it must all be very exciting and very wonderful. Uh, and actually, there's, you might feel like you're a bit stuck where you are. Or you might feel what you're doing is the most exciting thing ever. Great, that's fantastic. Either way, there's times in this season where we get a little bit stuck or it's challenging and we just need to have the oomph sometimes to keep on keeping on. And how do we do that? How do we persevere when it's tough? How do we endure through pain and challenges and sorrow and disappointment and even despair? Because none of us are untouched by that. Every person here tonight will have a story and it will all be different. But the reality is, Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. So we're not following Jesus in our fluffy bunnies kind of way, everything's all bright and shiny and plastic smiles and yes, we all do. Because that's, that's not reality for most of us. There are days that are dark and there are days that are hard and there are days we think, my goodness me, is this what I signed up for? Jesus, where are you? I can't see you, God. Your plan, I thought was this. I'm seeing this. What's going on? That's what I wanted to have a look at tonight. We were going to have a reading from Judges, but... We, we're not doing that now. But I understand that Paul Wakeley did a bit of a reading from Judges and talked about Gideon last week, which I only knew after I'd done this. So look at that. <laughs> Dovetailing moment there. We like that. We enjoy that. Um, but if you do have a Bible, or if you're looking at your Bible on your phone, and I understand that is what people do now, as long as you are looking at your Bible on your phone, not your Facebook on your phone, I would prefer that, but, you know, I will leave that responsibility for you. Uh, but I just want to have a little overview of that passage in uh, Judges 6, a little look at what was read to us uh, from Philippians, and then I want to share some quite personal things, some things which, I, which God has shown me, and I think, I hope, will be useful tools for you 
in your context. Okay, is that? Are you with me so far? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Good. Okay, so Judges 6 is where we have the story of Gideon. And it tells us how the Israelites were really under the thumb of these bad guys called the Midianites who kept coming and raiding and stealing and pillaging and taking their harvest and all the rest of it. And Gideon, this great and wonderful hero, is hiding. He's hiding in a wine press and he's uh, doing his harvest there, he's threshing because he wants to hide his grain from the Midianites because he doesn't want them to take it. So he's not, uh, you know, he's not your usual protagonist hero. He's a bit weedy, actually, Gideon. He's, he knows what the promises of God are, or what they were. If, you're, if you found Judges 6, you will see where uh, the angel of the Lord comes to meet him. And it's interesting, he meets him where he is. Here are, number one point, God will meet you where you are. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, in a place I can't pronounce, that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon doesn't seem to flinch about the mighty warrior, which I think I would have had a few questions about. But he says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? How many times have you said that? God, if you're with me, why has this happened? This doesn't look like what I expected. I didn't order one of whatever this is. Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So Gideon knew what God's promises were. He was aware of those. And yet, here he is. He hasn't laid hold of them in the way that Paul talks about laying hold of things. He's hiding. He's very much focused on the problem. Midianites, Midianites, Midianites. Can't see anything else. His life does not look anything like he thought it was going to look if those promises of God had worked out in the way that he, they, had anticipated. And here's what he says, a little bit down, verse 15. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. Boo-hoo. Little Gideon is the weakest, feeblest of a very small tribe. It's even half a tribe. Manasseh, the, the line came through Joseph and his offspring. They had a half tribe of Manasseh and a half tribe of Ephraim. And so it's a little tribe. And here he says, I'm from the weakest clan, little family. I'm the youngest. I can't do anything. And when we feel overwhelmed by life, events, whatever those look like for you, How often do we find reasons that we can't do the things that actually God has told us that we can do or things that we can see in his word? And when Gideon does eventually obey, you find before he takes his army, in verse 27, he does what God tells him to do, which is take down the idols that have been built up. He does it at night because he's frightened. He's frightened of his family. He's not a big, tough warrior. Whatever God said, mighty warrior, he doesn't look a big tough warrior, he does it at night, but he does it. He takes a step. Interesting. How often in our circumstances, when they don't go according to plan or they don't look like what we want them to look like, we say, God, just change it. Change these circumstances. Make it stop, make it different, make it easier, make it softer, make it nicer, make it prettier. 
And sometimes God graciously does do that, doesn't he? He changes the circumstances. But you know what else he does, and more frequently and more consistently he does is, do you know what, son, daughter? I'm going to change you in these circumstances because I'm going to use these. Because the whole point, his focus, is that we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's going to change us, which requires, certainly for me, that's going to need a lot of shaping. Here's Jesus, here's me. There's a big, there's a big difference. It requires a lot of work from God, even when I'm willing for that. It's not always easy. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. I'd much rather God changes the circumstances. But you've probably heard that phrase, you know, God loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He is going to change. He's committed. He promises to complete the work he's begun in us. And our circumstances, whatever they look like, can be part of that. Which doesn't mean that when trauma comes and terrible things happen, God did it. But it does mean that he'll walk with us in those things. And there is a difference. So God says to Gideon, I'm sending you. What else do you need? He won't call you to things that he won't equip you for. Gideon not only defeated the Midianites, the Amalekites, and down here somewhere in verse 33 it said, it says the other eastern peoples, so a whole bunch of enemies of Israel, he does it with only 300 men. God makes it very clear that it's because of what he's doing, not because of what Gideon's doing. So he's going to come to meet him, but he had him... Do you remember the story? He has him pare down the army and pare down. So there's only 300 men, and it's pathetic. And yet, it's a total rout. It's an absolute triumph. It's a great victory. But it's a great victory for God, which he allows Gideon to be part of, to deliver his people and come through. Meanwhile... Flipping back to flipping back to Philippians. See what I did there? It's very quiet out there. Do you know what? No, of course I don't tell them. Meanwhile, Paul, very different kind of character from Gideon, a mature believer who's been radically changed by the power of God. Now he has a completely different perspective on life. He considers everything that happened before he met Jesus as lost. Everything that was to my prophet I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Everything is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He knows that his righteousness comes from faith in Christ. It doesn't come from his own ability, his own intellect, his own skills, talents, efforts or achievements. And he has a lot of those as a highly educated guy, Paul. He could boast about a lot of those. But he knows that that's not where it's at. That's not what it's all about. It's about relationship with Jesus. He has the right desires. And this is pretty challenging stuff, I think. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. So most of us be like, well, yeah, that's two thumbs up for that. I want to know Jesus, but know him better, deeper. That's great. And the power of his resurrection. Okay, yeah, Paul says elsewhere, doesn't he? The same power that's at work that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your mortal bodies to change us. Great. I have some of that. Tick, thanks very much. And the fellowship, hang on a minute, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. Doesn't sound quite so fun, does it? Becoming like him in his death. What, what's he talking about? 
Jesus died on a cross. He's not asking us to die on a cross. What is he asking us to do? He's asking, he's saying, I want to become like Jesus insofar as he submitted totally to the will of the Father. So Jesus prays, doesn't he, before his crucifixion, Father, if you can take this cup away from me, please do it. But not my will, but yours be done. And that's, I think that's a bold prayer. I'm not sure how often that's something that I've prayed. Because actually I'm much more than that my will be done because my will is you know, a bit more comfortable and all those other things. If God's will is to change me, that requires, <laughs> that requires a pairing back. That requires me to deal with those things in my life that I have perhaps tried to pretty up a bit, but that aren't of him. Those bits of pride, those bits of selfishness those bits of, sting, bits of stinginess and the temper that can flare up or the harsh word or the sarcasm or the slice and dice judgment of others. God wants to do kind of the full Monty on us in that sense. He's not going to do a half-baked job. It's everything. Will I say, not my will, but yours be done? Are those my desires? Are they your desires? I don't want to answer that too quickly because most days, probably not. I've been walking with Jesus for over 40 years and I can tell you that there's been some highs and there's been some lows. And there's been some pretty, you know, same old, same old bits as well in there. There's been joy and pain and delight and disappointment and excitement and miraculous provision and protection There's been sacrifice, there's been some wonderful friendships, there's been some hard graft. You know, we don't live on those mountaintops, those mountaintop experiences that we have sometimes. But on the other hand, we're not supposed to be camping in the valleys, wherever they are, that God takes us through. That is where we're supposed to go, through the valley. We don't camp out there. If there's a monument there, it's to remind us of something. It's not so we camp out around it. We are designed, we are invited and called to feast at the table that God has set for us. And the menu that God sets for each one of us is going to be slightly different. My menu at the moment involves moving between two different continents. When my children are all here on this continent, they're not there. There are things that are great here that are a complete muddle and mess in South Africa. We've got a new president-elect this week. That's very exciting to go back to. But we have a major water crisis because of mismanagement and a whole lot of other things. And it's a circus parliament there. If you think it's a muddle and a mess here with Brexit, let me tell you. (laughs) It is something else there. But there's a... how I need to feast at that. God invites me to feast at that table. Um, I'm writing a... uh, I do a lot of writing. And I'm writing a study book at the moment about feasting at the table. And I've been talking to a number of people who have been served something on their menu which they definitely would not have chosen. I'm asking them to uh, contribute to it so that I have some grounded examples of people who have walked through a valley to come to a place where they can feast at what God has served them. So the, the couple who were served up a disabled child. How do you feast at that and not rage at the heavens, rage at God, rage at yourself? How do you feast with that? How do you embrace those challenges? How do you do that when your husband's had a stroke and the person that you loved and followed all these, when you've been married a long time, 
suddenly they're not very there anymore, they're not dead, and yet your best friend is gone. How do you do that? How do you feast? It's an enormous, enormous challenge. There's a saying from there, when life serves you lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> Which I just think is such a crass and rubbishy thing. It's a fridge magnet, it's not scripture. Okay? Is it? It's not, just, just not. God doesn't say to you, when, when you face trials and tribulations in your life, please grin and bear it. Please put on a happy face. Hallelujah anyway, everything's fine. He doesn't say, please can you just resign yourself to this and put up with it and try to be a little bit gracious about it. What he's asking us to do is say, will you engage with me in the realities of this pain and this discomfort and this darkness and this confusion and this uncertainty and this doubt? Will you find me here? Because this is where I am and I want to embrace you in it. I'm going to walk with you in it. When we engage in that way, that's where we get shaped, that's where we get stretched, that's where we grow, we become the warriors that we are called to be. Now, you may not think you've signed up for that. If you were just told, you know, when you came to Jesus, just pray a prayer, prayer for a card, ping, tick boxes. You need to go back and look at that again, perhaps, <laughs> because this is what we signed up for. We said, Jesus, yes, everything. And sometimes he says, see if you mean it. Not because he's trying to catch us out, but because he loves us. He wants us to be the real deal. He wants us to be authentic because there is a world out there that wants to see the authentic, wants to know what is real because they are sold alike every day of the week on all fronts, especially with all the social media and everything. It's relentless. Life should look like this. Drive this car. You know, drink this coffee, be this thin, wear these clothes, wear this aftershave. You know, it's just such a nonsense. Where is the reality? And the reality comes where rubber hits road. When things are tough, what is real? That's when you find out what's there. When the heat is on, under the, you know when the gold is purified? It's purified with heat, isn't it? Heat brings to the surface what's really in there. But it's good because then it can be scooped off. It was in there anyway, but it only shows itself often when the heat's on. So here's a phrase that we use in our family, which is never trust a soldier without scars. If you are, you're probably, all, you, we're now a generation where there's, we're all Games of Thronesy people. And I don't, I don't really know about Games of Thrones. My, my family will watch it. They don't know about it. But I know that there are warriors there who have scars. And a scar shows that you've been involved in a battle. If you don't have any scars, you're probably a novice, aren't you? And in walking with Jesus, the warriors, the people who have walked with God, will have scars. They will have wounds. But we need to keep them clean. If you have a festering, weeping sore... <laughs> that gets infected, it's going to spill out on other people, it's no good to you, it's no help to anybody else. We have to keep them clean. And that is often to do with things like forgiveness, living at peace, forgiving others, sometimes forgiving ourselves, sometimes even forgiving God. There may be things that have happened in our life that we just, we're still holding on to. We've become bitter. We've become hardened. And God wants to break those things down and come in. So let me make those clean. You can do this so that you can move on. I've, in the last um, couple of months that we've been 
in, uh, in and around Bath, back in Europe. I've met a number of ladies who have said to me how much they're struggling in their walk. The one lady said to me she's had to take time out of her work because things are happening in her family that are just so overwhelming she didn't think that she could function properly, so she's had some leave. And she was really beating herself up about it because she thought she should have been coping with this and, uh, you know, putting on a happy face and looking like it was all working. And it really wasn't. There was another lady who, who contacted me and she said, we've been in this dire financial situation for so long, I'm not sure there's ever going to be a way out. I've cooked the last meal with a food from the freezer. I've got two tins of beans, two eggs and the end of a loaf in my cupboard. It's my daughter's birthday next week. She has to go to hospital tomorrow. Right now my husband is out big borrowing, stealing money to put petrol in the car to take her to the hospital. Where is God? Somebody else who was in a situation, been married for a while, and she and her husband had hit a bump. She hadn't expected it. I'm sure he hadn't expected it. And it was very tricky. Was this the end? How can we make this right? How can we work this through? God, why, why has this happened? And how do we, you know, we're supposed to know all this stuff. We know all this scripture. We've been walking with Jesus for a lot of years and now we're in this muddle of mess and we can't find a way out. Where is God in it? How do we push, how do we push through? Where are the tools? Where are the handles for that? We have to be real. We all have wounds. We need to make sure we keep them clean. I just want to, I was really aware when I came um, to prepare for this and to bring you this tonight, that I wanted to try and give you some actual tools. (laughs) So whatever your situation is, there'll be something that you go, yes, that, I need to engage with that. God is, I know that God is asking me to do this in my situation, so that it's practical. Is that okay? So I'm always very reticent to say, here's some things that I've learned. Because I'm not sure that we do learn things like, you know, like uh, scouts, we get the badges, tick, got that one, got that one. It doesn't look like that, walking with Jesus. I think often he takes us around the same thing (laughs) and it it can take us unaware. But we, we learn as we go, okay, because that's part of keeping in communion with him and walking step with him and having relationship with him. So here's something that I have learnt. And that is that feelings are good servants, but bad masters. Feelings, I think, are like those lights on the dashboard. Very, very useful. A little bit scary sometimes when they come on. I had one come on for me a few months ago, um, back in the summer when I had to drive into London to pick up one of my daughters. And it told me that the engine was overheating. And I could actually hear the engine overheating. And I was very frightened because I thought my entire car is about to burst into flames. I I don't have a GPS. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. It's telling me every time I came to a traffic light, I'd turn the engine off because then the light went off. But I could still hear the engine but it was still boiling. (laughs) I just want to get cooled down before I got... I thought, please, God, let there be a garage. There's something here. I'm really stuck. And thank you, Jesus, there was a house. I've never been so pleased to see a house this man. I can tell you. But feelings are like that. They they need to not be in charge of us, but they're an indication that something is either good or something is not so good or something is really very wobbly and we need to give it some attention. 
So that's, that's something to note down and uh, perhaps go back and look at. A lot of these things are things which would be a whole evening in themselves and I'm aware that time is ticking, so I'm going to dip. Here's another thing that I've, uh, I've realised, and that is that there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> it's a wise man wrote somewhere, I think you'll find. But I, uh, a couple of years ago, I read a, uh, a missionary biography by a lady called Isabel Kuhn from back in the 50s, and she and her husband uh, were sent as missionaries to, I think, Indonesia, that kind of area. And she, uh, it wasn't where they wanted to go. They were part of a missionary society. In those days, that's how it worked. You went where you were put. And she wrote a book called In the Arena. And she was talking about some of her experiences. And the more I read, the more I thought, golly, yes. Yes, that's me. Yes, yes, we've been there. Yeah, I, I understand that feeling. Or that loneliness. Or that, oh my goodness, we've been working, working, we're not seeing anything to show for it, what's going on. And she was talking about how in the arena where she was working as a mission, the biggest giant she came across was the giant of self-pity. You know that self-pity that comes in, especially if you're somebody who plays a comparison game. You know, so-and-so has it a lot easier than I do, or don't you think it's not fair, it's blah, 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 all that stuff. Self-pity is a real so-and-so, and it can really get you, because it gets your eyes off Jesus, looking down, looking at, your feet, looking at yourself. It's a brilliant enemy tactic, but it's really something that we've got to deal with. And if you feel that that is a giant that has been operating in your life, uh, let me say you need to kill that giant. And God has given you the tools to do it. This, one, this particular giant, and there are many, but this one uh, needs you to look, to other pe- uh, look at others. Look outward so that you lift your head and you're not looking at your own shoes anymore. I'm going to try and zip this up a bit, sorry. Uh, so that is another question. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Often our circumstances can ambush us. Something happens out of the blue, you know, those suddenlies of life. You're going along and suddenly, happened to my daughter the other day, suddenly she was driving along, suddenly somebody runs their car into the back of her. The day was going this way and suddenly it's going that way. Things happen, don't they? And sometimes they happen very quickly. Where do you look when your circumstances change and think, are we looking, oh my goodness, now there's this, now there's this. Or are we like, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on God. Yes, this has happened. We need to deal with it. But actually, it doesn't throw me off where my focus is, where my walk is. A good thing to do when uh, things are looking bleak and dark is to just stop and say, well, what has God said? What has God said to me? We've got this whole Bible. But what has God said to me? So we've got these two things. We've got what's the Logos word, which is the whole of the Bible. And then you have the, the Rhema word. You know the word that pops out when you're reading something and goes, ooh, that's for you, that's me. Or somebody may say something to you and go, yes, I know that that is God speaking now. That is that Rhema word. It's so precise for my circumstance, for my situation. God is speaking to me. I need to listen. What has God said to you? To look at those things, stand on those things, make sure you're planted in those things, that those are the things that are giving you life. Revisit what God has said to you in the past. If you can't hear what God is saying now, because often there's a lot of noise around in life, what is God saying to me? I don't know what God's saying to me. Well, what did, what did he say to you last? You know, the choice that he hasn't changed his mind. If he said that to you then, he's probably still saying it. Don't we? We're very naughty about looking for a new thing. What is God saying to me? Oh, have you got a word for me? Have you got, you know... What? what has God said to you? What do you know that God has said to you? Even reminding God about it. Not because God has forgotten, but, but here's something. I've often said to God, you know what, this situation 
was not my idea. I believe that you called me to this. You put me in this situation. You put us in that situation where it's our family. So now, where are you? Because this was your idea, not my idea. So if this is still your idea, then let me hear you in it and let, please come and meet me in it because actually it's your reputation that's at stake, not mine, because this was your idea. You can do that. God's got big shoulders. He can take it. <laughs> he can take it. The Bible tells us that faith comes how? Faith comes by... Pardon? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Say, faith comes by hearing. Very good. But hearing what? The Word of God, yeah. Not hearing everybody's opinion, confusion and whatever, latest fads. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. How do you do this? That's a whole series, I'm sure. It's not just anything, is it? But how do, I'm not asking you how, do, how do you do this. I'm asking you how do you do this? Do you do this? I would strongly suggest to you that it's a very good thing to be engaging with. How do you do that? Sometimes you need to speak to your soul like David did. If you read the Psalms, you find that he, he speaks to himself. It's like he's giving himself a pep talk. My soul... Be, be, you know, take courage, be still my soul, be at peace. Come on, dig into God. You know this stuff. Come on, soul. Stop wobbling about. Get, get stuck into something. We need to do that. We have another phrase that in our household is sometimes you need a darn good word washing. <laughs> when, um, when Paul talks about husbands and wives, he talks about uh, husbands, that you keep your wife, uh, help her to be holy by washing her with the word. Washing. Keep cleaning, let it go over, let it flow, let it flow, let it soak in, soak in, soak in. Sometimes we need a darn good word washing because we've, we've got lost. We've lost that part of us and we need to just re-engage with it to do it. Um, here's a little advert for you. You don't know how to engage with it. I've got some of these left. These are devotionals that I've written. I'm sorry, I've only got five left. Everything else that I mean has been sold at the minute. Uh, each of these are six weeks worth of devotions. This one is themed around the sea. This one is themed around the city. And I'll tell you what, they're chock-a-block with what the Bible says. <laughs> there is not a blessed thought to be found there. <sighs> they're quite meaty. And if that appeals to you, then uh, come and, and I'll buy one at the end. The £10 each says, while well, they're there, once they're gone, they're gone. There you go. End of advertisement. Here's another thing we can do, and it's very interesting how all these things have been touched on tonight in terms of worship. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, thanksgiving and his courts with... Right. There's a progression, isn't there, in our worship when we come in. Thanksgiving. When we're overwhelmed, when we're in that dark tunnel, God, I can't get out of this, I can't see, and I'm dreading tomorrow, Monday morning, how am I going to get through another day of this awful, boring, mundane job with my unreasonable boss and his ridiculous uh, you know, deadlines and all the rest of it. How am I going to do that? Come with thanksgiving. What can I thank God for? Let me come to his gates with thanksgiving. Let me come with praise. Let me make declarations. It's about an alignment, isn't it? We come into alignment with God. We make some declarations about who he is. And then the worship is our heart's response. 
to him. It's about relational intimacy with him, how we responded to him. What we see all through the New Testament when it's talking about church, church families, it's all about one another's. Who has God given you? You see, you can't be following Jesus on your own in an authentic New Testament way because you can't do one another's on your own, can you? It's logic. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of obvious and yet sometimes it doesn't feel very obvious. So it's not about that whole thing that we used to be told years ago about, oh, it's like a fire. If you take a coal out of the fire, it gets cold and then it burns out. It's not about that. It's about doing family in an authentic way, bearing with one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, all those things. There's loads of them. Dig them out. That's a Bible study you can do somewhere if you feel that's a good thing to do. Because that word needs to become flesh. It needs to look like something. It's three-dimensional. Nearly there. Sometimes we need to make cold-blooded decisions. We say, this is what I feel, but this is what I know. David does it all through the Psalms. I'm feeling like life's not fair. God, where are you? I'm in this hole. It's not fair. The wicked prosper. Why do I bother? I might as well give up. I'm feeling rubbish. But I know. I know that God is good. I know that God loves me. I know that God has plans and purposes for me. I know that he is with me. I know that he will not let me go. I know that he's there because I know him. It says two things. And sometimes that's, that's part, I think, of maturing in following Jesus is that we're able to do that, engage that. I feel this, but I know this. I have physically written it down sometimes when I've really been at like, I just... I can't, you know, everything feels like that knotted ball of wool and you can't find the end. I can't find it. I've written it down. I, here's all the things I don't know. Here's what I feel. But this is what I know. And I have to choose to live from here. Well, I can choose to live from here, but it's, it's not going to go well. And then God isn't really going to be with me in that. He can't bless that. But if I choose to live here and I make that bold decision to trust him in it, We'll go somewhere. When we talk about knowing Jesus, knowing the Word of God, knowing the Scriptures, we're not talking about intellectual knowing. We're not talking about education. Okay? We're talking about that intimacy. We're talking about Abraham knew Sarah, and here comes this, um, Isaac. We're talking about Elkanah knew Hannah, here comes Samuel. We're talking about intimacy, that knowing that bears fruit. We're not talking about cognitive, oh yeah, I know that. It, it, it was whether knowing that it looks like something. I was always very confused about this uh, thing, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and why that was such a, a bad thing that Adam and, Adam and Eve took of that. Right, but, but isn't that a good thing? I thought we all thought knowledge was a good thing. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, reach out and take that? It, it, you know, we always think education is the, is the way out of poverty and you know, we should all know lots of things and go and study. And, but it was because God wanted them to look to him for how to live. He didn't want them to know, oh, this is right and this is wrong, because it became at his expense. So it's like, oh, we don't need God anymore because we know that we know, we know, so we don't need God anymore. That's why he said, don't eat from it, because he is saying, keep in step with me, keep in this relationship with me that is so close that you can hear my heartbeat. That is so close that we know each other inside out. And it messed up everything. 
I think Tim said this from the reading that he uh, took from Kings with uh, Elijah in the competition on Mount Carmel. Either God is God or he isn't. Either this stuff is true or it isn't. And honestly, sometimes it is as stark as that. And I think we've learnt along the way of our Christian lives often that we end up pretending that it's true. Or it's true in theory. Or I'd like it to be true. On my wish list it's true. But my reality is looking a little bit different. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that. So I'll try and hide it or I'll disguise it. Either stuff is true or isn't it? And that is a challenge. Sometimes... <laughs> I'll say that in a minute. Romans 8.28, famous verse. In all these things we are what? More than conquerors. Or are we? Sometimes I think, are we write our own version and say, in all these things we are barely survivors. In all these things we are almost coping. In all these things we are under the circumstances. Very victim sort of mentality. In all, rather than seated with him in heavenly places, which is actually where we're supposed to be, where we actually are, not just supposed to be, we are, we just need to lay hold of that, more than conquerors. Sometimes our coping strategies for life in adversity or in, under pressure is administrative rather than relational. You know, I'll do this, I'll do this and this and I'll fix it. Or we can become passive, we can think we're, trust, I've, done, I've done this and God has beat me for it on more than one occasion. That I thought I was trusting him, I thought it was in faith, but actually emotionally I was exhausted and I was tired and I was weary and I'd just kind of signed off, actually. I'd kind of gone to spiritual screensaver. I was passive. I wasn't, I wasn't in faith. I wasn't trusting him. I was just nothing in him, if that can be a verb. God rebuked me a while ago, and let me tell you, this is a very sobering thing. I did not enjoy this at all, but I'm going to share it with you because it might help you. He said to me when I was in South Africa one day, he said, there have been days you have endured, which I had planned for you to enjoy because I had purposed that you would press into me. And the fact was that I had chosen not to press in. I would chosen to withdraw. And it, it broke me. It tore me up. Because the fact is that God wanted to meet me in those places those difficult places, those lonely places, those challenging places, and I have withdrawn. Never trust a soldier without scars. You see, the enemy will come, his strategy is the same, steal, kill, destroy. He wants to steal your dreams, he wants to kill your joy, he wants to destroy your hope. And I'll tell you what else he'll do, he'll condemn you. He won't convict you. There'll be things that I've said tonight, and you think, golly, yeah, I think that's God talking to me. But some of you may find that actually there's a lot of voice that's come to the earth. See, I told you you were rubbish. It's condemnation. Well, that's not what God is saying. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free, free from the law of sin and death. He will convict you because that's how his love is big enough that he wants to meet you in that place to change you because he doesn't want to see you damaged and hurt and continually banging your head against things and being wounded and carrying those things with you. He wants you healed up. But he will not condemn you. So, right, let's 
wind this up. If you're in a place, and if you're not now, then you will be at some time, because this is how life goes, where the challenge is to persevere, to endure, to keep on keeping on, which is what my dad used to say to me, I would encourage you to fight. Stand up and fight. Be who God called you to be. Be the warriors God has called you to be. Use the scripture. John 10, no one can pluck you or me out of his hand. Psalm 27, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 57, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Because God has a purpose for me. And one of my mantras, mantras, my phrases, my notes to self has been, while I have breath, I have purpose. Not because that's my idea, because that's what God said. So devil can push off. And these things that come in and can torment you and push you off course, we need to stand up to them and fight them and not be bullied by them. Psalm 61, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Isaiah 54, no weapon forged against me will stand. Therefore, Isaiah 35, lift up the head that's hanging down, strengthen those feeble knees. This is what God is calling us to do, to push through. This is not rah, 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 let's all feel better about ourselves, let's pull ourselves up by our bootlaces. This is stuff that God is saying because this is war. We've been reading in uh, our family, Ben and I, uh, an old book by a guy called Paul Bilheimer called Destined for the Throne. It's a book about prayer, really. Uh, But it's about overcoming. And he says, the prayer closet is the arena that produces the overcomer. Not that we all go in... uh, I I think he's talking about prayer in terms of communion. Communion with God. That that through the day, you know, Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. Talking to God all day long. And if you can have special prayer times as well, then that's great. Do it in your car, in your bathroom, in the shower, you know, whatever. Be creative about it. Prayer is where the action is, he says. Intimate, daily, close relationship with Jesus. And I come to an end. I have... um, I know that there's there's prayer stuff that you do. You've got a prayer ministry team, right? Which is great. And if you feel that uh, you want to meet some of these people, I'm sure Tim will somehow make them available for you. Or if you want to pray on your own, that's also fine. When I was asking God how to finish this, how to come into this, I think there's five, five groups of people, uh, five ways to respond to this tonight. They all begin with C. So, good bit of Baptist something in there from my past for you. Um, one of these will fit you. But let me just give you another picture of a way that God met with me a few years ago in a place where I had no idea what our life was going to, which direction it was going to take. Uh, We were here living in Bath. We were living over down in Moncton Coombe. There were some very challenging things going on. And I I didn't know how God was going to make anything clear. And I was pretty messed up about it in my inner turmoil. And the picture that I had was that I was there before God but I was crying. And it was, let me tell you, it was ugly crying. It wasn't delicate, feminine, little leaking tears. It was snotty, ugly, sobby, messy crying. And I felt that Jesus came to me like a good father and he just hooked my hair behind my ear, lifted my chin, looked me in the eyes and said, did you think I didn't know?
I think Jesus wants to come with some of you tonight and say, he would say the same thing. Did you think I didn't know how hard it's been for you? How much your heart broke in that situation? Whatever it was, a bereavement, a broken engagement, a trauma, whatever. Did you think I didn't know? Because you did. And he does. And he cares. And he wants to meet you in that place. So go in the strength that you have. Here's the five things. One is for the people who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come to me. Take my yoke on you. Some of us are wearing the wrong yoke. It's time to take that off and put on his yoke. Walk, the message talks about um, the unforced rhythms of grace when we wear his yoke. It's beautiful. Some of you have been hanging by a thread. I once was on my knees by my airing cupboard when we lived back in Hampshire. And I said, God, I am hanging by a thread. Where are you in this next step? Not half an hour later, some people called by. They were from Bath, actually. And they were on their way back from somewhere. They came in and prayed to me, and prayed over me, and said, you've been hanging by a thread. And God says, no, hold on, no one's going to be washed overboard. It was the most beautiful, beautiful thing. So come to me, all you who are in here alone. Second group, some of you need to hear, need clarity. There's been so much noise going on, you can't hear properly. Some of you need to find contentment in your circumstance. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We've been in a situation that we were saying to God, how long is this going to go on? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> like a kid. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And uh, a, fr- a friend, he really was a friend, came to us and said, do you know what? God wants you to be saying, instead of saying, when is this going to end? Say, God, take as long as you want. Oh, that was a bitter pill to find. Some of you need courage to stand up and engage in the fight. Take heart. Just get back in. And some of you need to make decisions, you need to choose those cold-blooded decisions. Yes, I choose to believe you, God, what you've said, that that is true. And I'm going to take hold of it. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to re-engage. I'm going to choose to believe what you've said is true. So I can pray now for you. Finish yourself. Sorry, I have gone a bit longer. Well done, children and children's workers. Thank you, Sue. And then if you want to talk to him, Tim, you do what you feel is appropriate. Okay. Father God, I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you that you are a loving, living God. That you are tender towards us. Thank you that you love us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us as we are. And Father, I pray for each person here. Holy Spirit, would you meet us where we're at in our unique and different circumstances that you know. Thank you that you know each of us fully, through and through. And I pray whether people need courage or strength or an opportunity to release forgiveness, move out of bitterness, to engage with you again in an authentic way. 
that that is what would happen. Father, I pray blessing, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Thank you that your words are life and your words are truth. And I pray that in this place there would be a continued hunger and thirst for righteousness for you and all the good things that you have prepared for your children who you love. In Jesus' name.